encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 11 through 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should find one there in the seat in front of you. And so if you're using that version to help you find it a little easier, it's going to be on page 976. 976. If you're not using the Bible in front of you, I can't help you. Uh, But you can find it in the table of contents or uh, just generally take a a good centimeter off the back and and look for it from there. Uh, But if you don't own a Bible, I'd like to also direct you. We have a resource center there in the back. Uh, We have Bibles. We have tracts. We have uh, ways to share your faith. We have a resource library. If you need anything of that, uh, there's directions. And uh, really, if you need a Bible, take it. Uh, give it to uh, to a lost person maybe that, that you know at work or a neighbor, a friend, anything like that. That is there to serve you. But Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 14, as we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians, we see Paul's letter to the church here in Ephesus and, and building on uh, really this, this hymn, this singing of, of praise here by the pen of Paul uh, to the church at Ephesus and, and guiding and directing their eyes upward. So grateful for Pastor Steve last week to take us through the first 10 verses as we saw kind of this introduction and this this calling of, of what blessing is in, in the past and the present and the future as we look to the person of Christ. And as we turn to even seeing these these kind of continuation of this thought, that this close of this this first, really it's, a, it's all one sentence, but uh, this uh, containment of, of joy for the church at Ephesus as Paul is pointing them to the person of Christ. I, I hope that you see, as I do here in this text, that because God has called and sealed us as his own, that we are able to join him in a living mission. And so we'll start just by reading verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 1 and diving into the text. The word of the Lord says this. And in him, being Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the purpose of, or according, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were able to first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. God bless the reading his word. As we see here in these first two passages, we see that uh, it is is our inheritance, but it is God's purpose. As God is laying this out before us, he calls us, first of all, simply to receive that inheritance, to receive an inheritance, to, to be given a key, if you will, into this kingdom. And what's so incredible about this is that we see in verse 11, this continuation of the thought that came before it. As we have seen, as Pastor Steve took us last week, uh, that in Christ we have been blessed, we have been chosen, we have been loved, we have been adopted, we have been favored, we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven. And then he continues on in verse 11, and he starts with this also. It's even further thing. It's like watching those infomercials, right? And the thing comes on, and what do they say? But wait, there's more. Right? So Paul is laying out, he's saying, not only have you been blessed, not only have you been chosen, loved, adopted, favored, redeemed, and forgiven, but no, there is something for you. That there is in Christ an inheritance for you. Not just to, to come into his home, not just to come into his kingdom, but to be an acting member and recipient 
of that kingdom. That we have in Christ been adopted into the family of God. That we become inheritors of this kingdom. And you may pause for a moment and say, well, doesn't inheritance only work if, if dad dies? And that already happened once with Jesus. And I, I don't really expect that to happen again. So if God does not die, what and when do we inherit? And it's a great question. It's one that we should look to and, and ask. And the purpose here that Paul is drawing the Ephesians to, and the one that I want to encourage you to see as well, is that the inheritance that we receive is not dependent on the death of God. Rather, it is all the more important and hinging upon an inheritance on the life of God. That is because God is living and true, that he is today on his throne, that Christ is today reigning in glory, that we are able to inherit. And then in the full sense, we see this in its glory and its fullness and purity and presence there in Christ's second coming, there in, in glory in the kingdom of the new heavens and the new earth. As Christ is coming to redeem this broken world, to fix all that is here, to put aside cancer and death and pain and suffering and all that accompanies pain and earth here, we have in Christ the inheritance of his glory. That we have eternity with him. Where we have been lacking now, we have fullness with Christ. Where we have been struggling here, there is sinless perfection in glory. And where we have been far off from God, we will be in his presence forever. For those who are in Christ, there is an inheritance that we are called to receive. And just like an inheritance here on earth, there is a, a waiting, a delay. But when it comes, our inheritance in heaven comes without the loss of love, rather the fulfillment of it. That the inheritance that we receive is according to the purpose of God. And so as we are called in the same way to receive an inheritance, it's also that we see God's purpose notes here in verse 11, it says, we have obtained this inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That it's God's purpose, it's God's counsel, it's God's will that is laid out here. The reason and rationale for predestination here. Not predestination in an individual sense of who is getting in or who is not getting into heaven. Rather, Paul is drawing our attention to this collective and corporate election of the church. He's talking about this one body, this our, this we, this us, rather than the I and me and me again. Uh, but instead, as we look to God's purpose, we see here that this corporate election is, is those in Christ. We're noting the, the plan of God in its fullness. As Pastor Steve took us last week, we saw the fullness of God, the fullness of time, the fullness of Christ coming at the exact right moment. So as we look to his purpose, we see that the who is in Christ, the how is through Christ, and the to what is to glorify Christ. 
I'm so encouraged every time we get to go through Membership Matters, every time that we get to uh, remind ourselves if we are already members or for those that this is the, the first uh, inspection of what a church is and why we should be a part of one. I'm always so encouraged by this unveiling of God's purpose, that the church is not uh, the people that were left by Christ scrambling and saying, what, what do we do now? He's gone. I guess we should meet and wait for him? No, instead, well, Christ actually commissions and establishes the church himself, that this is the continued eternal plan of God, that as we see God's purpose here, as we see the, the local and universal church, as he was laying out this morning in Membership Matters, uh, that there is a, a church universal and that all global Christians across time and space, the Apostle Paul and Augustine and Calvin and you and I, if we are in Christ, are joined into this church, only to be assembled by Christ there in glory. But there is also a local church. There are, are physical outposts and, and callings of God's people who are in time and space, that Augustine is not a member of our church, that Calvin is not a member of our church, but that you and I have the opportunity to gather together in accountability and commitment and love and encouragement to come together as one body. And this is the we that we see here. This, this is the we that is driven home and that is laid out before us that this is God's purpose. Not just that we would be a part of, of God's church in the global sense, in the universal sense, that we will be with him in glory, but also that we would be with him here that this is the hand and feet of Christ in this moment and in this time. That for our community, Augustine is not coming. Calvin is not coming. Bonhoeffer is not coming. Luther is not coming. But you and I are. That you and I are placed here for God's purpose. In this season, in this time, in your workplace, in your sphere of influence, God is working to bring more into this inheritance. That's the wonderful thing about the inheritance of God is if we were to go to an estate sale here after church and find the, the nearest one, there is, are only uh, so many things that we can grab. There are, are limited resources that we could uh, fight or barter over, but that in Christ, the inheritance that we are offered, the number of people does not dilute the blessing. That you and I are, are coming in as, as equal benefactors of, of those that are receiving the glory of God and the blessing of God. And that if we bring in a third with us, it doesn't change what we get. I've also heard this said that the, we are one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That the glory that we find in Christ, the purpose of God in this earth, in this season, in this time, is one that does not dilute but rather, the more that we bring in, the more we are able to bring praise to his glory. Look at verse 12 again. So he says, and so that, for this purpose, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That we would bring praise to his glory. We gather ourselves to glorify him. There's this really interesting idea of, is this, is this being, is this doing, is it simply that I exist as one who has been saved, that this is glorifying to God, or is it the things that I do as one who has been saved, is that what's glorifying to God? And the answer is, yes, that Bill Klein is a New Testament scholar, he writes in the book of Ephesians, he says that our existence 
and actions as God's people. The ones who are enabled by God to perform good works bring praise and glory to God. And so it's this balance of, of being and doing, of existence and action, of, of worship and of living. We gather here to glorify God. And we scatter from here to glorify God. That it's not just in the ways that we come together, but it's also the ways that we go out. As we've seen and, and will continue to remind you, this church exists to exalt Christ in all of life. Not to exalt Christ when we come into this building. Not to exalt Christ only when we, when we sing about him. Not only to exalt Christ when we open scripture, but we exalt Christ in all of life. In public and private. If we were to say, I, I want to exalt Christ or I want to be about the excellence to the glory of God in my work. That should mean, of course, that if I'm a carpenter, not only am I going to uh, make an excellent table... But it also means comes April 15th, that is not that far off, by the way, uh, as we account for the year behind, that it's not just, well, I did excellent work here before God. I did excellent tasks and crafts, and I used my hands for the glory of God. And he won't necessarily mind if I tweak a few numbers. No, but instead, it's the, not just the, the public work. It's not just the things that people see and can touch but it's also the private. It's the way that we operate in our hearts, in our closets, sheltered away from the community. And so as we gather to, to praise God, as we uh, put on our, our worship face, whatever that is, not just a, a happy face and that we are faking some type of, of religious piety, but that we would have the fullness of, of life here, that we would weep with those who weep, that we would mourn with those who mourn, we would rejoice with those who rejoice, sing with those who sing, that we see the fullness of life here, but also as we go out from here, that we wouldn't neglect to pray for one another, that we wouldn't neglect to, to be about our own growth and development in Christ, that we wouldn't be uh, about those other aspects of our faith which we can be neglecting to apply. But that in these ways in the public and the private and the corporate and the individual, we bring praise to the glory of God. That the inheritance that we receive is one which defines us as we're looking towards it. So let's see what this looks like in the time being. Continuing on in verses 13 and 14, Paul reads, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So not only do we see our inheritance and, and God's purpose, but we're also reminded of the Spirit's work in us, that the Spirit is moving in this place, that the Spirit is moving in our hearts even now. That is, the inheritance is still far off. We, we have a hope and a, a piece of it in many senses even now. That the very first call here, verse 12, is that we would hear and believe Christ. And we just said, all right, in verses 11, 12, and, and really in verses 1 through 10, uh, we made such a big deal about the we, about the us, about the uh, the corporate body here. And this isn't to put that aside, but it's a, a shift that we should note. 
This isn't drawing away the emphasis, but instead driving it in more. That shifts from the we and the us. Instead, in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit that we hear and believe Christ. And in this moment, it shifts from the, the we of this interpersonal, this kind of beyond transcendent and, and corporate entity, instead to this individual, this you. It draws in the reader. Paul is drawing in the Ephesians, and, and so we are brought in in the same way that you, if you believe, if you hear and believe Christ, that you are joining in to this promise. This is the, the, the promise here. It's not this, this, this is just a, a text or a, a Bible that uh, we have that's 1,900, 2,000 years old. It, it's not that we are just coming together here and, and taking these people's word for it. It's, it's not that this is just a, a book of history, but this is an invitation for you to take hold of a living Christ. That we would hear and believe Christ. This hearing has an expectation of proclamation. Paul writes elsewhere that how, how would we know unless we're told? How, how would we be told unless we, we go? He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who, who carry the gospel. That this expectation of, of proclamation is that we would be saying these things so that those would hear and be able to respond. Also, that it's a message of truth, that this is an objective truth. It's not something that is based on our opinion, our way, my Jesus, or your Jesus. Instead, there is a single Jesus. There is an objective Jesus. There is the Jesus on the throne. There is the Jesus of Scripture who has revealed himself to us, and that we either choose to accept him or reject him. And that if we accept him, it shifts our entire worldview. What did did Paul do when he encountered the message of truth? He he was a persecutor of the church. He was the one that was going to Damascus in order to arrest the Christians there and bring them back to be tried and killed. Struck blind on the road. He's calling out and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He says, Lord, who who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you were persecuting. Paul didn't say, yeah, but I, I've done years of seminary and I trained under Gamaliel and you know I, I have this, this pretty great resume. I think it would just be easier for you and I. I, I could save a little more face. Maybe if we just have, have a slow shift. But that's not how it works. Instead, Paul is radically impacted. That he is struck blind, that he has to go to the disciples. And these disciples that, that know Paul, they, they know Saul, they know this guy who's persecuting the church. And they say, are, are you sure? We, we don't want any part of him. But instead, Christ uses this worldview shift, this hearing of the gospel of truth, hearing this message here, this declaration of what's happening, and uses it for his kingdom. That God would lay out and hear, proclaim the word of truth, but also that this truth, this word, would be the gospel of our salvation, the good news of our salvation. Gospel is a word that I think we can often misunderstand or or misapply or at least miss the the initial weight uh, of its meaning. Uh, We know that it means gospel. We know that it means good news. And 
uh, at least in our context, it, it also describes music, and it also describes uh, work, and it also describes churches and conferences and, and everything else. And it's just kind of one of those church words that, that we can often miss. But I think one of the, the weight of this is that uh, it's also a, a kingdom declaration. That this past week probably uh, enables us to understand gospel in a different sense. So regardless of, of the way that, that you voted, uh, in our nation, this past Wednesday, we had a, a shift of power, a, a new administration uh, of leadership in this nation. The inauguration of President Biden and Vice President Harris uh, set apart this new time. The next four years, um, unless the Lord tarries or treason or whatever, there's a number of things. But uh, for the next four years, Biden and Harris are our president and vice president. We are called to pray for them and to, to, to watch out and to... Uh, live wisely in the world. But also in, in that season, we, we recognize uh, that there are some that, that don't acknowledge this presidency. They, they don't acknowledge what's, what's happening here. Uh, and for wildly different reasons. If it were 100 years ago, it could be that someone doesn't realize that there's a new president, uh, perhaps because, well, they don't have TV, they don't have Internet, and uh, it just hasn't reached them yet. The changes of power in, in the olden days, right, uh, going back to especially the days of Scripture, uh, that they would be announced, but it would take days or weeks or months to reach uh, those that would hear these messages. And the ways that they would do it is they would gather together all of their, their scribes, and they would write out all of these messages. They would write out all these announcements, these proclamations, and they would send them out to every nation, every state, every city, so that they would know who these new rulers are know what they would do they would come and they would stand in the public place or there at the gate of the city and and post this or read it and you know what they would start with gospel they would say hey good news everyone why because the person that was just put into power is announcing it right of course they, they view it as good news whether they were a tyrant or or a benevolent dictator or whatever it was that they were saying hey good news everyone a, a new kingdom a new regime is in power and that's what we see here is that this is a, a kingdom word that the good news of Christ is, is not just, oh, isn't that nice that God came to save us? No, it is a kingdom declaration. Good news. There's a new king on the throne. And so when Christ comes and, and he says that we are hearing this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, it is a kingdom declaration. Is that there is a new king in power. It requires an actionable verdict. Not just that we would hear this message, but that we would respond. That we would hear and believe Christ. And he says, if we do, if we hear and we receive Christ, if we believe him in this way, if this has a saving faith provided here by the Spirit, he says, in him when you hear this truth, when you hear the gospel, when you believed in him, at that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And we can trust his work in this way, not because the Spirit is the one who seals us. It's not that we are sealed by the Spirit in the sense that, that he comes and puts a sticker on us and says, listen, I, this one's mine. No, no, no. Instead, the Spirit is the seal. Did you catch that? That the Spirit is our seal. This is declaring the security and identifying possession. That that seal marks for all that come upon it the authority and presence of the one 
Remember in the, the book of Daniel? When Daniel has, has opposed the king, he's continued to worship, and so they throw him in the den of lions. They don't just toss him down and say, now don't come out. What do they do? They roll the rock over. They put a seal across it. They stamp it with the ring of the king. And they say, and anyone who breaks this seal has committed treason against the king. In the same way, when Christ is crucified, he's placed in a grave. What do they do? They station guards around it, and they place a seal over the tomb. A signet there of Caesar and saying, if you break the seal, the seal is representation of the kingdom authority. It says here that the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is our seal. That this, this work here, he is declaring that if you touch this, you're messing with me. It identifies the possession. It's, it's that, that, little, that little sticker on the back of products, not just that this was made in Taiwan or made in the USA or, or whatever it may be, but it's of ownership. It's, it's getting a new garment and, and writing in the, the pocket or uh, in the hem or wherever it is and saying, this belongs to me, that the Spirit of God seals us in this way. And he does so at the promise of Christ. Christ in his ministry, as he's about to depart, he says, I am going away, but I'm sending you a spirit. And it's better that I send the spirit. I've heard it said, I I couldn't even uh, find who who said it, but uh, I've heard it from a number of places, but that the spirit inside me is greater than the Jesus beside me. That this idea that, that in Christ, that when we receive the Spirit, that this is better for us than even having the physical Jesus with us. This is what Jesus says. He says, it is better that I should go so that you may have the Spirit within you. That it's better than even the incarnation. This is moving to this, this finality, this full and promised inheritance. That he doesn't just set us back and say, all right, I'll see you when I see you but instead that Christ sends us his spirit as our seal, as setting us apart for even now to move and work and transform us. Because not only are we moving towards this inheritance, not only are we, we moving towards this glory, but as we move, we are being shaped into the likeness of Christ. Didymus the Blind wrote in his book on the Holy Spirit, he says, one who takes on any discipline and virtue receives in his own character the seal and form of the knowledge that he puts on. And so one who is made a partaker of the Holy Spirit becomes likewise spiritual and holy through discipline to fellowship with him. It says as the Spirit has sealed us, as he holds us and is forming us more and more like Christ. The further we go in this life, the closer to to heaven that we get, he says that the more like Christ we should look, the more like the spirit that we should look, inwardly and outwardly, that we would trust his work as ongoing. Finally, as we see the spirit's work in us, we're called to hear and believe, we're, we're called to trust his work, but also we're called to enjoy his blessing. We should be happy that we are in Christ. There should be a, a joy, not one that, that hides grief, but one that deals with it rightly. One that, that knows that this weeping does not last because joy is coming in the morning. 
one that can, can imitate Christ in our tears. And that it, as we enjoy this blessing, we, we do so knowing that this is the guarantee, the deposit, the down payment of what he is doing in us in eternity. That this deposit guarantees that the full payment is coming. This isn't just setting aside and saying, oh, I promise, here, let me give you my watch and so you know that I'm coming back. No, he, he's taking a portion of the inheritance and giving it to us now. We don't have the fullness as Christ is still far off, as Christ has not redeemed this world. We have to wait for the fullness of that, and we have a work to do until then. But even now, we get to enjoy the blessing of God, that he is so kind, that he has lavished his grace upon us, that in him we are sealed by the Spirit, guaranteed this inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's a difference between renting and owning a home, renting and owning uh, a car. Uh, when we first moved to, to Cleveland, uh, we, we started by renting our home. Uh, eventually, we would, we would buy it. But as we were uh, moving in and speaking with our, our landlord, he was in, incredibly gracious about uh, kind of the ownership and personality. You know, he said, you know, if you want to paint, if you want to uh, do these things that would add value, uh, just a few caveats. Uh, the only one I remember was, was don't paint it blood red. Um, and so that's a fair request. That'd be an odd thing to come into a home and every wall is blood red. Um, but when that shift happened, when we uh, made an offer and it was accepted and that home became ours, uh, our responsibility, our ability to, to do whatever we wanted to in that house changed. It, it, it changed in what we were allowed to do. It changed in what we were responsible to do. Before that point, if uh, a pipe had burst, there's not really much onus on us for that repair. We would simply call our landlord and, and say, this is what has happened, and you are the owner of this property, and so you need to deal with it. Now, if that same pipe were to burst, if I call my old landlord and say, hey, the pipe burst, and he'd say, good luck with that, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm, I, he's actually a great guy. I'm sure he'd come over and help, but he's not footing the bill in the same way that an owner is required to do. It changes repairs and remodels. It changes the way that we respond and move in our home or in our car or whatever it is by who owns it. In Christ, God is offering to, to buy our house. God is offering to, to purchase our lives. Not in a way that he is going to, to come in and just destroy it, but as a way to deal with the repairs that need to be done. As a way to foot the bill for us. That God has, in Christ, secured us. That in the Spirit, he dwells within us. That through his Spirit, he is restoring us. And that in glory, through the seal of the Spirit, he will own us forever. Not in a way of, of begrudging ownership, but of joyful care, instruction, and keeping for the redemption of our souls. You and I are, are fixer-uppers in that way, that God has limitless resources, and that he is moving to redeem us, to buy back what was lost, to instead be restored and set free, 
See, God created everything as good, but our choice, our sin is what broke this world. It shattered our hearts. It shattered our souls. It marred the image of God. But through Christ, he has restored it. Through the perfect sacrifice of Christ, he has invited us in, adopted us to be a part of his family, and offers us this inheritance. And this brings himself glory. And we join him in that praise. We're invited to, and to participate with God. That because he has called us and sealed us his own, we're able to join him in his mission. As we see this inheritance, as we see his purpose, we're invited to bring praise to his glory, hearing and believing in Christ, trusting in his work, and enjoying his blessing. And so I say, what does that look like this week? What does that look like in my life? And the answer is, well, what do you do? And how can you do it to the glory of God? What are the ways that you can integrate faith into your work? What are the ways that you can integrate your faith into your craft? What are the ways that you can share your faith with those around you? What what are the ways that you can glorify Christ here? We gather to glorify him, but we also scatter to glorify him. That Christ is glorified in all of life. And that as we glorify him, we enjoy his blessing well. If you are not in Christ, if you are, are hearing this word and, and this is the first time it's clicked for you and you say, I don't know if I have that key. I don't, I don't know if, if I'm renting or if I'm owning. Right? I, don't, I don't know what my inheritance is. I don't know if I'm a child of God. Let's settle this today. Grab one of our pastors. Grab one of our leaders. We, we'd love to talk you through what does it look like to, to follow Christ, to be adopted into his family, to be a part of his church. I encourage you to, to join us next week in Membership Matters to see what does it look like to walk in faith. What does it look like to bring praise to his glory in the detail in life together? to walk through all of this to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord, for the ways that you are moving in this place. Lord, for the ways that you have gifted and called each of us as individuals. Lord, to take hold of your promise, to to take hold of your grace, Lord, to see your inheritance, Lord, and, and in the moment to be sealed by your spirit. God, we ask that even in this time, Lord, that you would be with us. Lord, that you would watch over us. Lord, that you would call us according to your purposes. Lord, lay out your will before us. Lord, that we would glorify you in all of life. Lord, that you would be exalted in this place. Lord, we thank you for your calling. We thank you for your sealing. Lord, we we thank you for the spirit that you have put inside of us. Lord, that you are even now redeeming us. Lord, use us to expand your kingdom. We pray these things 